Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ask Shane Anything. I know some of y'all are playing Final Fantasy 16, and maybe this little show can ride shotgun with you while you make your way through the game. A reminder, this show is only possible because some of you guys pledge at $7 or more per month at patreon.com slash sifted. Now, all you guys get to watch the show. If you want to participate, head to sifted.net. There is a link in the header where you can ask questions, and without those questions, we don't have a show. Let's get to it. Oh, one quick thing before we get going, actually, is I know I mentioned in last week's episode there was a ton of questions waiting for Ask Shane Anything. Well, as it turns out, now that I've skimmed through them, more than half of them are from one person. And unfortunately, we can't have a whole episode with just questions from one of y'all. So, again, head to sifted.net. There's a link in the header where you can ask questions. Again, without the questions, we can't do anything with this show. So, anyway, our first question for this episode comes from Derek D111. How do you feel about lying in reviews? I know in the past, companies have wanted you to lie to make a game look better. Have you ever given in and adjusted your score after a publisher complained? I have never done that, and I never will do that. And I do think that maybe the verbiage in your question is a little deceptive because it's not that the publishers would contact you and ask you to lie. What they would try to do is they would try to change your opinion. Now, I've talked before about how Max Payne 3, we reviewed it at Game Trailers, and Rockstar was not happy about it at all. Um, And they ended up pulling like a huge marketing campaign from Viacom over the review. And it wasn't that they were trying to convince me to change the score against my better judgment. They were trying to basically explain that the person who had reviewed the game was misguided and didn't know what they were talking about. And this is how the publishers get around it. If they call you and they're like, look, I know you don't like the game, but I need you to say that you do like the game. That's not what they do. They'll call you, or they would call me anyway, and they would walk through the points of the review and explain why they believe that those assessments are wrong. And it wasn't just Rockstar that did this. I've I've had this happen, I don't know, probably 15 times throughout my career, something like that, maybe 15 times. Um, But it's not them trying to get you to lie. It's them trying to get you to change your opinion. So it's a little bit different there. And again, to answer your question, no, that never has happened. It never will happen. Um, I don't think it does happen really that often at all. Obviously, I think the biggest example of that is Jeff Gerstmann at GameSpot. um, When the Kane and Lynch review, they his marketing department tried to get him to change his opinion on the game or whatever. That does not happen very often at all. Again, I've been working in the industry for 23, 24 years now. I've had it happen 15 times where the publisher even called to talk about the review score. After a while, um, the industry and the publishers, they they get to know you and they can figure out pretty quickly whether they're going to be able to push you around or not. And I think, at least I believe, I put my flag in the sand and I think they knew that they couldn't bully me to get me to do uh, what they wanted me to do after I had worked in the industry for five or ten years. You start to get a read on people. And so most of that stuff happened earlier in my career. As time went on, it happened less and less. Only certain publishers, like Rockstar, had the guts to do it after I had kind of become an industry veteran. All right, next up, we have a question from Pain of Demise. If money were no object, what would your dream gaming setup be? Would you have a big screen projector, LED lights everywhere, surround sound speakers, on or in the walls, high-end PC with multiple monitors, or everything above and then some? Oh, wow. If money were no object, I would have... Oh, man. I don't even know where to begin. Um, Obviously, I'm a big audio guy. So, yes, the surround sound system would kick butt. I just talked about this. 
in a episode of Asking Anything a week or two ago, I kind of showed you guys my setup and everything. And that setup, by the way, is inexpensive. Like my receiver was like four or five hundred bucks. The entire speaker array, I think when it was all said and done, I maybe spent another six or seven hundred bucks on those. Um, so you don't have to spend that much money to have a really good surround sound setup. Now, to answer your question, yes, absolutely. They would be built-ins and they would be really high-end speakers. And like, and these are brands you haven't even heard of. Like, <laughs> You think high-end is like Polk or whatever, and I'm not making fun of you. Most people think that Polk is like a high-end product. It's really not. When you really get into it, there are these brands that you've never even heard of that are making these insanely amazing speakers and these incredible receivers and things like that. So I would dump a ton of money into the sound, and yes, everything would be built in. Um, ideally, if I ever own a home one day, I want to build like a cabinet in the room where I'm going to set all this stuff up and then have a way to access it from the back. Um, so you can go and like pull stuff out and plug stuff in if you need to. So yes, audio would be a big thing. As far as display is concerned, some of the projectors are getting pretty good now, but they still really can't compare with like an OLED TV. Um, so I would probably still go with a flat panel. I'm not the person who's like, I want as big a TV as I can get to fit on that wall. I want it to be comfortable viewing from whatever distance I'm at. Now, assuming money was no object, I'm sitting in a big room then with, you know, awesome couches and things like that then the TV would probably be pretty big. I would go for one of those big, like, 100-inch whatever OLEDs that cost, like, 10 or 15 grand or whatever. Those things that you see at CES that you kind of laugh at because you're like, I can never afford that. I would have one of those. But I think even more importantly, though, is creating a comfortable environment to sit in. Um, so, like, I have a couch right now that has, like, an ottoman or whatever, and I can stretch my legs out while I play. One thing that's annoying, though, is, like, I don't have, like, tables and stuff to put on my thing. So a lot of times there's just crap laying on the couch. I would set up some kind of a thing where it's almost like a bed that you lay on that you can play games on. I think the more important thing really is the comfort while playing. So I think that's what I would do. Um, I would also make sure that this room is well insulated and pretty far away from kind of, like, kind of the other living quarters of the house so that the noise wouldn't bother people. I'd probably put double pane glass in the windows so the sound wouldn't escape and the neighbors wouldn't complain if they live next door or whatever. I could, I could go on and on with the stuff that I would do. Um, but truth be told, what I have right now, if I had to play with this stuff for the rest of my life, I'd be totally fine with it. Like, I already feel spoiled with the things that I have. So um, I'm pretty happy with my gaming setup now, but if money were no object, I would have no problem spending that money. Next up, we have a question from Justin and a very, very quick answer. He asks, What did you mean when you said that BC Boys Paul's Boutique would be too expensive to produce now due to samples? What I meant was back when that album was produced, and I think it was, I'm trying to remember, like 89 or 90 maybe? I can't quite, quite remember, but the laws were different then um, as far as clearing samples. You didn't have to pay for samples at all. Like sampling was a new thing. Like obviously in hip hop in the 70s and early 80s with the scratching and kind of mixing stuff in and things like that. The lines were getting blurred as far as using other people's music in your music. And it was different, too, when DJs were just doing it live at parties or whatever. But what the Beastie Boys did was they were like, you know what? We're going to do this and make it a part of our production, a part of the album. And that's what Paul's Boutique is. I think there were... Somebody counted at one point. There was like 150 samples or something used. Today... To use a sample, you have to pay insane amounts of money. And if it, a lot of it is dependent on how much of it you use. Is it the crux of the song? You negotiate with the rights holder uh, to figure out a, a, a fee that is fair for both sides. And those fees are insane. 
Um, and so you figure Paul's Boutique has 100 plus samples on it, and you have to clear each one of those with the artist. If you do that in present day, I read an article that The Atlantic wrote about this. They literally wrote an article just about this. And The Atlantic estimated, and again, it did research and talked to the rights holders and things like that. The album would cost $20 million to produce today, which is just out of the question. No one is ever going to invest that much money to produce an album. It's because... You don't make the money off the album sales anymore. You make money off of touring. Um, so investing that much money in an album today would be crazy, and no one would do it unless they were some band that, let's say, you're the Grateful Dead or whatever, and you're all in your 70s and 80s, and you know, obviously the Grateful Dead doesn't sample. But just as an example, you're an old band. You're about to retire. You have all this money. You don't know what to do with it. Maybe then you create some kind of an opus that just has every sample you ever wanted to use in it. But otherwise, I don't see it ever happening again. <laughs> Next up, we have a question from Chris. I recently got back from a three-week vacation in Japan. It was my fifth time there. Wow. And I always find myself wishing I were there longer. I was wondering if you could reflect on the times you've been in Japan and maybe share some of the fonder memories you have of the country. Okay, I've talked on Game Face, on Invisible Walls, on Ashley and Anything about my trips to Japan, but never as one topic, always like piecemeal here and there. Um, I have been to Japan... I haven't even counted it, actually, how many times I've been there. Probably, like, 15 times? That's not exaggerating. Um, so I've been there a lot. But I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm impressed that you've been there five times. I've never met somebody who didn't have to go to Japan for work who has been there five times. Because most people, it's like they visit somewhere, and then they're like, that was awesome, and I love it, but, you know, am I going to go back, or am I going to go somewhere new? And generally how I do it is I try to go somewhere new instead of going back to the same places. Now, I've been lucky because going to Japan was something that I did for work. I've never gone there just for pleasure. Like my wife and I have never gone to Japan. It was always just me going there for work. And for whatever reason, it was just, I was always fortunate enough to go. And the other thing too was once you had gone a couple times to Japan, it was much more likely that you were going to go again because you become then the Sherpa in Japan. You land, and there's all these people with you. You have this whole team of 20 people or whatever who have never been there and have no idea what's going on. You need somebody there to show them the ropes, to get them through customs, to get them out of Narita, to figure out how to get from Narita into downtown Tokyo, which buses to catch, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so once you went and you proved that you could get around and you understood the city, you were much more likely to go, and I think that worked in my favor for a long time. So I've been there a lot. So... I couldn't even begin to recount all the amazing things that have happened in Japan. Now, the other thing I would say, too, is I've only been to Tokyo. I've never been outside Tokyo. So I know Tokyo very, very well. The rest of Japan, I don't know very well at all. Um, and so I would like to go and visit Kyoto and some of the other areas of the country. Um, but so all my experience is from Tokyo. And, I mean, I could just go on and on. Like, <laughs> I've talked about how I shot the documentary with Team Ninja um, for Ninja Gaiden Sigma. Uh, it was part of the collector's edition. You can find that whole documentary um, on YouTube. And you won't you only see me in it, I think, for like a half a second. There's one shot of me and our production crew on a train that lasts like that long. And that's it. It's the only time you'll see me. But I produced that whole thing. And that was just amazing because I was there for like two weeks, and I wasn't scrambling around, like going from the hotel out to Makuhari Messe for Tokyo Game Show every day. I was staying in a hotel, 
and we get up early every day and we just go hang out with Team Ninja and just shoot all day. And some of the stuff was a little bit set up. Like um, one thing that we did with that documentary is there's a cheat code hidden in the documentary. And so we had to shoot these very special scenes to denote which like the, the inputs for the code. Again, my idea that I put in there at the last minute and Team Ninja loved it. But um, so that's a very fond memory. Just being around those guys and being embedded in a Japanese studio for two weeks. Uh, like, I don't know. I don't think too many people have done that. And I appreciate it very much. That I was able to do that. And then just all the other times. It's not so much about the city then. It's about the people that you go there with and experiencing these things with them. The first time I had real Kobe at a restaurant um, we had our like victory dinner after we had wrapped Tokyo Game Show, and our boss, my boss, took us to have Kobe for the first time. Just ramen, discovering like the best ramen in Japan, and getting at the restaurant at seven in the morning so you can get it before they sell out. Um, the I could just go on the Ninja Restaurant where they come and do magic tricks at your table, and you have to figure out like where to find like the buzzer in your little eating area to call the Ninja to. It, it's just a crazy place. Shopping, like I love streetwear. Obviously, you guys have figured that out by now if you've known me for any amount of time. I love all the streetwear, extra large, Stussy, Supreme, all that stuff. Um, and Akihabara with all the electronic stuff. Anything that you want to buy there, it's the best place to buy it. Even streetwear. Like even U.S. streetwear companies send their best stuff to their stores in Japan. Um, so you go to Harajuku and they're all there and you walk around the alleyways and then you get awesome food that you've never had before. It, I don't even know where to begin, honestly. I have so many amazing memories from Japan. Now, one thing I will say too, you say that you don't want to leave when you, I, on the other hand, am usually ready to leave by the time the time is up. Um, and I will say this too, the more times I go, the earlier I'm ready to go because I've been to Tokyo so many times at this point that I've pretty much done all the cool stuff and probably done it multiple times because you go back and then the other people you go with want to do the cool stuff. Um, so there's like this whole district of bars that are like the size of a closet and there's just like dozens of them. That's called Golden Guy. Like you go there for the first time and there's like just tons of little dinky bars with themes and you just go get a drink go to the next one get a drink and you just go down the row and just check out all these awesome bars like again i've done all that stuff so um the last time i went in 2012 i was we had done tokyo game show and i was there like one thing i would say about you know generally what i would do is i would try to make sure everybody had a chance to go um like even you know i could have gone every time if i wanted to a game trailers but i didn't i was like no i want to make sure that all you guys get a chance to go well the last time i went in 2012 it had worked out that really only the youngest people on the team had not yet gone to japan and so it was me and these kids basically and i'll just be honest with you like they acted like 10 year olds a lot of the time and um I kind of wanted to come home more quickly on that trip than I had ever wanted to come home. Like, they were just acting like, I don't know, like juveniles. And I guess, you know, if you're in your early 20s or whatever, maybe I acted that way. The first time I went to Japan, I don't remember acting that way, but maybe I did. But the last time I was there in 2012, I did not enjoy my time all that much. The show itself, Tokyo Game Show, was terrible. Um, we didn't, we had spent a ton of money to go there. I was thinking about it from a work perspective. I'm like, this was a bus. Like, we probably shouldn't have come. Um... And then, like, the, the younger people on staff, they wanted to go do stuff that I just wasn't really interested in doing. And so that trip was probably my worst one. But generally, the more times I've gone, the more quickly I want to come back. Like, if you watch the movie Lost in Translation, I wasn't. it wasn't like that for me the first time I went there. But as time went on, 
Japan started morphing into that for me, where I felt more like a fish out of water. I had already tried all the wacky food. I had eaten whale and raw horse neck. And, like, after you've done all that stuff and kind of done the Tokyo, the Japan thing, it's it can be a little off-putting um, as far as, like, their society and how different it is from ours. And eventually, I think over time, the want for the comforts of home creep in a little more quickly the more times you've gone there. But still, it's just an amazing country. I love Japan. I love the people of Japan. Incredible people. Incredible culture. I love it. Um, So I'm very glad you got to go there five times, but I do recommend maybe going somewhere else next time. All right, next up, we have a question from someone who gets a question in every episode. Our good man, Kevin. If the doctors, for some reason, told you that you only had one day to live, which game or games would you then play for the final 24 hours? As a side note, I'm guessing you probably wouldn't spend your last day playing games. <laughs> Kevin, you ask great questions. And there's dozens more from you in the, the message board thread for Ask Shane Anything. And we'll get to them. Hopefully, we'll get to them all eventually. Um, this one, I mean, to your point, ideally, yeah, I don't think I would be playing video games. Because I think if we all knew... We had 24 hours left to live. I think we would want to spend them with the people that we love instead of this other stuff. Um, obviously, I've never died. But I know a lot of people, when they when they know that the end is kind of near, they don't really dive into like entertainment or they don't want to really do things that they were fond of throughout their lives. They want to spend it with the people who were important to them. And so that would probably be the same for me. However, though, if that person or those people wanted to play games, then I would play games with them. Um, there is, like, trying to project yourself into that situation, things like games and movies and TV, they really seem vapid at that point. Um, it's like, do I need to be entertained? Because let's be honest, what is entertainment? Entertainment is a distraction, taking you away from things. And when you're about to pass... I don't think there's anything more serious than that. So it would almost be like the ultimate denial trying to play games or dive into movies or TV shows when you only have a day left. Like, I have a feeling if I if I were physically fit, I would be scrambling trying to finish stuff and get stuff done before. Like, if like for example, um, when I retire, I want to write a book and I want to create an album, a music album. Um, so for me, I would probably be scrambling trying to make sure that both of those things are done before I'm gone. So... I don't think I would play games at all, but to humor you, what game would I play? Oh, jeez. That's a tough one, man. Probably, I would play the game where I had the biggest community, as far as, like, friends that played the game with me. Um, I have a pretty big friends list on Rocket League at this point, although I don't really play it that much anymore, but people that I really know in the real world that I play Rocket League with, not as many on, like, Call of Duty and stuff like that. So I think, again, tying into the fact that I would want to spend it with people, um, I would want to play a game where I had the biggest friends list full of people that I actually cared about so I could interact with them while we're playing the game. So it's a crazy question. It's a good question. Um, But I think probably I wouldn't want to play games at all unless the people that I really love and care about wanted to play games with me. All right, here's our last question before I send you guys off into the weekend to go into Final Fantasy 16 land. And it comes from Merlmason. Hey, Shane, what do you think about existential threats like global warming or uncontrolled development of AI? Do you think these issues are exaggerated or underestimated in the news media? Do you think individuals have any power to have an impact on these matters? How do you keep yourself from not falling into the vortex of perpetual thought cycles about the looming doom of our beautiful planet Earth? Well, all I'm going to say 
and I'll say this about a number of topics, is I trust science and I trust the scientists. So when 99% of all scientists are telling me that global warming is a real thing, I believe them. It's, it's served me well throughout my entire life, and I think it will serve me well until the day I die. Um, so I believe the scientists. So I absolutely believe that global warming is real and that climate change is a problem. I think there's evidence of that right now. I'm At the same time, I do subscribe to the idea that planet Earth has been here for a long time, and it has seen kind of cataclysmic weather changes throughout the eons. I mean, we're talking about you know billions of years here. Um, and so... Here's the thing, though, like we can't go through another extinction event like that's happened before. And so if we're headed that way and there's something that we can do to head it off at the pass or keep it from happening or at least prolong life, then we should do everything that we can. So um, can we make a difference? Yes, like you absolutely can. Like vote for people who want to protect the planet. That's very simple. Like it makes a difference. Elections have consequences. If you don't vote for people who are doing things that you want to have happen, then it's never going to happen. So, yes, there are absolutely things you can do. You can also volunteer locally. You can become parts of groups that lobby the government. There's so many things you can do. Or you can just take care of stuff on your own. You can make sure that you're recycling the way that you're supposed to. You're not littering. You're not dumping harmful chemicals into fresh water. I mean, there's a million things you can do to help the planet. And I don't have to tell you guys this. You guys all know this. So, um, yes, I do believe that there is some form of an existential threat. Do I think it's going to, you know, end the planet while I'm alive? No. Do I think it's going to end the planet while our kids are alive? No. Do I think our kids might start really feeling the effects of stuff like this before they die? Absolutely. So, it's a little scary, but I think for a lot of us, we're like, oh, it's not going to really bother me. And I think a lot of people just blow it off that way. So it's a problem, but there are things that you can do to fix it. Now, AI, I do think that maybe the idea that AI is going to take over the world and we're going to be enslaved by machines, I do think that's a little misguided because already we're starting to see checks and balances on AI. We're starting to see people getting arrested for using AI in like legal filings and people are being like censured for trying to use AI. Students are getting caught using AI, writing their papers because a lot of times AI will write something that's not factual. So I do think there are checks and balances on AI. I do think the human race is smart enough to not allow robots to take over. Now, if we get to the point where AI is smart enough to learn how to somehow build something that can then crawl over and then start gathering other parts to make itself bigger. I think when you get to that point where it can, they can build their own sort of bodies to do whatever they want to do, that's a little scary, but I think that's so far away. And of course, there will always be terrible human beings who are going to use technology for bad reasons. But um, I think generally, I believe humans are good, and I think generally humans do things for good. And I think there will be enough checks and balances, enough people um, to stand in the way, because ultimately no matter how smart AI is, it still can't reason as well as a human being. So I think we'll be okay. I think there's reason for alarm. I think we should keep an eye on it, but I don't think that AI robots are going to be taking over the world. All right, that's it for another episode of Ask Shane Anything. Now, again, don't forget, we are getting a little low on questions, so head on over to sifted.net. Click that link in the header. It's open 24-7, 365. If a question pops in your head, just head on over there and submit it, and eventually it will make its way into the show. I realize a lot of you guys are going to be playing Final Fantasy 16 this weekend. Hope you have a good time with that. But there's also so many other awesome games to play, and I hope you guys have a great time, and we'll see you next time.